Real people. Real opinions. Real Talk Radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Uh, Dr. Quiva Hartley founded the Menopause Health in 2021. Menopause Health helps women access the best advice and individualist care from the time of perimenopause. And the aim, of course, is to deliver excellence in menopause care by specialists, accredited experts, and consultations can be in person or remotely, so patients from across Ireland can be seen. And Dr. Hartley became accredited by both the North American Menopause Society and the British Menopause Society. She has been recently honoured to become a, a British Menopause Society trainer, so training other people to understand it, I suppose, and recognise it. And she has been a member of the advisory board of both the European Menopause and the Andromenopause uh, society and the Newson Health Menopause Society. So certainly when it comes to menopause, I don't think I could speak to a better person. Dr. Greva Hartley, good afternoon to you. Hi there, how you doing? And See, this is the problem. And I remember we talked about a year ago, it could be two years ago now, uh, Quiva, but we talked about the fact that women think they may have menopause or they may have some of the symptoms or they don't understand it because there's a myriad of symptoms. I could, I could probably spend a half an hour just listing the symptoms, right? Because it'd be different for everybody. They go to their doctor and the doctor goes, oh, yeah, let me just check your temperature there, check your chest, you've been in your back, yeah, check your chest. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's grand. Yeah, how old are you again? 47, yeah. Ah, yeah, so take some sulfidine, sure, you'd be grand. They, they don't, they never mention menopause. And, and sometimes women are a bit reluctant to, to admit it, or maybe they might be in denial or something like that. And, and it just doesn't get looked at. It's definitely challenging and you're right, I think one of the problems is that it's kind of head to toe and the fact that it's so individual. So you could get one woman who has these really classic, you know, I have my hot flushes and night sweats and my periods have stopped and it's really kind of textbook. And that's really straightforward. But for other women, and probably for the majority of women, they get a load of symptoms that even they don't realise are are hormonal. And in the short space of time that GPs are, you know, allowed or, or have during the day to, to talk to patients. It can be often really complicated to help someone join all the dots and see through something that's quite complex. But mm-hmm. um, and, and it is highly individual. You know, I have women who, it's, for them, it's a lot of mental health problems or, or mood or irritability or anxiety, that kind of thing. And for other women, it's very, it's very physical. It's the hot flushes, it's the joint aches and pains. You know, we even see, um, you know, we see vaginal changes that can happen even for women when they're still perimenopausal and still having periods. So it is, it's really, it's challenging, it's difficult, yeah. With the exception of the women that can go into it early for other medical reasons, the majority of women, I suppose, would experience menopause somewhere between 43 and 55, would that be fair to say? Or they would certainly start perimenopause in around that age or can. It can be a bit later for some, it can be an early for others. There is no set age, is there? No, again, that, that's where the individuality comes in. But we do have statistics on this. So when you say menopause, all we really mean is that you've had your last menstrual period. And really what that's telling us is that your own ovarian function has, um, has stopped. So you're, no, you're no longer ovulating. You're no longer producing um, significant amounts of a, a hormone called estradiol or estrogen, which is a really important hormone for our health, our bones, our well-being, our mood and all these other things. Perimenopause is a little bit different. You're still producing these hormones but in a much more erratic, volatile pattern, and your periods are often really irregular. And a lot of women describe more like PMS-type symptoms when they're going through perimenopause. So if you look at the statistics, then average age of menopause to have your final period is somewhere around 50, 51 in Ireland. Um, and a lot of women experience that early hormonal change from roughly the age of about 45 onwards. About 5% of women will have their periods stop under the age of 45. That's called early menopause. And about 1% actually have premature menopause where they stop ovulating, 
their ovarian function sort of grinds to a halt under the age of 40. And the, the effect that can have on a woman when those hormones stop being produced, oestrogen, uh, of course, you mentioned there a few minutes ago, mm. that can have varying effects because we, we, I don't think we really have an understanding of how important these hormones are to us. I, and to all of us, by the way, you've oestrogen, progesterone, you've testosterone, which primarily is in men, although women do have some testosterone as well. They mm-hmm. can have varying degrees and cause varying degrees of problems, including depression. And a lot of women will talk about this kind of involuntary crying. In other words, crying suddenly for no reason, upset for so no, no reason worrying about things that's all hormone related I imagine yes you have estrogen receptors from your head to your toe and actually if you look at your brain in particular like you've mentioned there's the mood um, changes that can happen even cognitive functions so how your ver- like your verbal fluency your ability to recall words and names your ability to process new information and short term memory they're often things that are um, sort of knocked off kilter when we go through menopause now they're temporary so for most women, you know, they're, if they experience those symptoms, I can reassure them and say, if you have, I think a lot of women call it brain fog, which is a pretty accurate description. It is temporary. The problem is I can't put a timeline on it. So for some women, and what's the average? Yeah, you know, I was going to say, what's the average timeline then for that kind of brain fog or that uh, where people just can't remember stuff? We don't actually have great data on that, but we know for hot flushes and night sweats, the average length is about five to seven years. So cognitive changes are probably in that, or somewhere in that ballpark, which is, I mean, it's reassuring to know that it will ultimately probably get better with time. It's not great if you're being told, look, I know you're trying to function and work, but this might go on for years. That's the problem. And it is a very real thing. Like, there's really good research that's been done in the States looking at test scans of our brains as we go through hormonal change. And you can demonstrate you can actually see changes in our brain happening because of changes in, in estradiol levels. So it's not in your head, even though it is in your brain, okay. if you like. Yeah. The other thing that, of course, and, and what was considered a, a dirty word many years ago, HRT. Uh, HRT, of course, there was a study out many, many years ago, which was has since been debunked. It was a bad study, but indeed it caused a huge amount of problems. I can almost see all the headlines all over the, mm. the red tops at the time. You know, HRT causes cancer, HRT causes cancer. It doesn't cause cancer. We know that now. Um, there is a very slight increased risk, but it depends on the category that you're in as well. So it, unlikely, it, you know, for women aged around that age. So HRT now is very safe. And it's, it's a lifesaver, I imagine, for women. Absolutely. And so it's important to get, you know, things kind of right about HRT because there has been so much misinformation historically. So that study, the Women's Health Initiative, that was done back in the 90s. And in 1993, um, estrogen in its tablet form in the States was the most commonly prescribed medication um, at the time. And if you go forward then 10 years to when the study results were published, like the HRT prescribing rates over the next few years just absolutely plummeted. And we know that replacing someone's estrogen can carry really big health benefits. It's really good for bone density. It can be really good for cardiovascular risk and lowering someone's long-term risk of heart disease. So it has these health benefits, not to mention symptomatically helping women feel well again, feel like themselves again, getting their life back. So it's, it's, a, it's an important medication to get right. But there is a small increase of risk of breast cancer. However, I think this is complicated because when we say HRT, there's lots of different types of HRT. Some women can take estrogen on its own if they've had a hysterectomy, if they don't have a womb. That actually doesn't carry an increased risk of breast cancer, as far as we're aware. Women who still have their womb, they have to take two hormones, estrogen and progestogen. And there is a small increased risk of breast cancer. But when you compare it to lots of other things, like, for example, average alcohol consumption or how 
active you might be on a day-to-day basis and lots of other lifestyle changes. It's in that ballpark, it's in a sort of acceptable range that is offset by a lot of health benefits. So in other words, if you you weren't taking it and getting the health benefits of it, you could possibly be at a higher risk to something else, including heart disease and many other things. Well, actually, that's what the Women's Health Initiative, when they went back 20 years later and looked at those results, when you look at all causes of death, when you add in absolutely everything, women who had taken HRT actually lived longer. They had less mortality if they took hormone therapy. And that's because of these health benefits. So although there was some small increased risk in uh, breast cancer, and it's important to say that that risk is related to how long you are on HRT. So women who take it for a year, they actually have no increased risk. And women who take it for 20 years have more. Some women choose to take it for life, and that's absolutely fine if, you, if you're getting benefit from it. And it's really, really individual. So the risk is small. It's about three to five extra breast cancers diagnosed out of a 1,000 women taking HRT for five years. Just okay, just on. before I come to because I have loads <coughs> of questions here, people texting in questions that I always do every, every time you're on. But just getting to the final, in relation to the HRT, I mean, you you mentioned oestrogen, you've testosterone and you've progesterone. Uh, a lot of women, of course, would be using the coil. That would automatically, I assume, pre- replace the progesterone or does it replace progesterone? Yeah, so you're using the progesterone part of your HRT to protect the lining of your womb because if you take oestrogen on its own, you get all these other wonderful benefits, but it can actually encourage thickening of the lining of your womb. That leads to bleeding, but it can also lead to womb cancer long term. So we give you a progesterone to prevent that from happening. Some people can take that as, a, as part of their patch. Some people take it as a medication by mouth. And other people use something like the marina coil. There's one particular coil that can be used for, for womb protection and you get five years of that if you have a coil in. Okay, so the oestrogen, uh, that comes in different forms, tablet forms and also um, a gel that can be rubbed onto the skin. I've seen that as well. Uh, is that the only forms that it comes in? I assume it is, yeah. And, and is, so one, is one better than the other? They're, just, they're different. And, and uh, oestrogen tablets, although they're very safe, they do carry a, a very small increased risk of blood clotting and stroke, similar to what we would see with something like the pill. And as women get older, our background or baseline risk of developing a clot out of the blue goes up. Or some women might carry increased risk because they smoke or they have family history or something like that. So for those women, and really in general, we prefer to use what are called transdermal products. So these are estrogens that are gone, they're applied through your skin. So that's your patch, there's a gel, there's a spray. And there, it really comes down to user preference. One is not necessarily better than another, but certainly through your skin is, if possible, is the best approach when it comes to estrogen. A little bit more inconvenient, I suppose. But in saying that, it probably yeah, be, you get better used for it. You know, yeah, it's like you, you, you apply your moisturiser, you apply your gel. Like, you know, the, and the patch is changed twice a week. It's waterproof. You know, yeah. these things are actually, they're very user-friendly, yeah. Okay. Testosterone, of course, the other hormone. Um, do women need to start taking testosterone? Because I'm going to see, I see a lot of messages there coming in about libido. Uh, testosterone plays a huge role in libido for women. That's another symptom, of course, of menopause, which can be a reduced libido. Um, are, are we still avoiding giving women testosterone or have we got better at that? I hope we've got better at it. Yeah, testosterone is really controversial. Um, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence and people will talk about using testosterone for cognitive function and energy and that kind of thing. And that may be true. It is anecdotal, though. Like, we don't have a huge amount of data to back up that recommendation. But that may come down the line because we do know that it has a role to play in those you know, biological things. But at the moment, we have really good evidence that it can be helpful for low libido in particular. It is really important, I think, to mention that with low libido, there's loads of other things at play, though. Your relationship, your mood, your sleep patterns, and also vaginal symptoms. If you have really painful sex, 
well, then your libido is going to be low. So no amount of testosterone will make sex more comfortable. So it's important that all of those things are, are dealt with. Of course, with. no amount of testosterone is going to fix your relationship either. So That's um, true. So it's worth looking at it sort of holistically and taking everything into account. Okay, but you, but you can, the, the days of avoiding that, because women just say, oh, I don't want testosterone, I'll end up growing a beard and getting a deep voice. Nope. Th- those, are, those things are gone now, are they? Testosterone should be a discussion with every postmenopausal woman, absolutely, because some will really benefit, and it's really hard to figure that out. So it, it deserves a conversation, I think, with every postmenopausal okay, woman. Okay, let me look at some of the questions. I'm a 50 year old female, had breast cancer in situ at age 37, in midst of my men- uh, menopause now, taking nothing for it. I walk each day, waiting on menopause specialist appointments. Can I ask, what does Dr. Quiva advise re HRT for women with my history? I see not much conflicting info. Uh, I haven't slept properly in three years constant trips to the bathroom at night brain fog feel overwhelmed which is never how I felt uh, etc no real hot flushes but thankfully so okay she's had breast cancer Mm. she's now 50 years of age she had the breast cancer at 37 is there any conflict in relation to taking HRT and she talks about having to go to the bathroom and obviously uh, I I don't know is incontinence a part of uh, menopause yeah it is actually because the little tube that goes from your bladder to the outside your urethra is covered in estrogen receptors It's, it's its embryonic origin would be the same as your vaginal tissue so it goes through similar changes to vaginal tissue when we lose so what is it like a constant feel or need to go to the toilet all the yeah, time yeah or like urging continence feeling like when your bladder is full that you can't hang on to it but even just that feeling of, of frequency I need to go all of the time yeah. and being up at night it can be really disruptive to sleep like that poor patient whose email you just read out can you imagine not having sex properly in three years and feeling like she feels so that's complicated and that, that's a really individual discussion. There's no kind of one umbrella, black or white, yes or no, when it comes to patients who've had breast cancer. It is a, you know, we know in women who've had estrogen receptor positive breast cancer that um, certainly hormone therapy is contraindicated. Now I'm saying that you can, you can counsel every woman on risk and talk through the benefits and risks with every single woman who's in front of you. That's never a... It's never a clear cut, unfortunately. And we also have really, really good non-hormonal options. So medications that don't contain hormones that can be really good for sleep and night sweats and mood and other things. Or vaginal estrogen or really good vaginal moisturizers that can also help women who are getting vaginal symptoms but might be reluctant or, or not want to go down the route of taking um, hormones for whatever reason. Yeah, I'm looking here as well. Just uh, Hi now, just wondering, could you ask, how do I know if I'm pre-menopausal? I'm 42 years of age, have my second child, which is who is four, and I got the coil in, so I have no idea about my cycle. I'm gaining weight, and my mood can be low at times. Any help would be really appreciated. That's really difficult, isn't it? Because you can't have, like, we often use someone's periods and how regular they are and have they changed as a good guide as to whether or not their hormones are fluctuating in the background. And the majority of women who have a marina coil um, will, will stop having periods. And, um, and so you, can't, you don't have that lovely sort of guide to, to let you know what's going on. So we really go by symptoms. Um, and, and that's where taking a proper history and having the time to talk through that really comes in. Blood can be, like doing blood work can be helpful to rule out other things like thyroid um, changes in your thyroid hormone or anemia or other things that might contribute. Looking at hormone levels because they fluctuate so much is just useless. It doesn't really help, unfortunately. Okay, because it's a bit annoying, by the way, when you go to a doctor and they do a general bloods, but of course, there's a specific blood test to find, <laughs> to, to kind of check. Why is that? Why annoying? Why no, that no, no, I'm, no, I'm saying it's a bit <laughs> annoying for women, I imagine, when they, they don't feel they're kind of being, things are being looked at properly. So they go to a doctor on feeling unwell, the doctor mm. does a general blood test, and then you go back and see, a, you know, a, a menopausal specialist or somebody who understands menopause, and they go, well, that blood test is no good. You really have to do a proper blood test where we check all of your hormones, etc. 
Yeah, but I, I suppose in this case it can be because it's so tricky. You know, it is worth sort of ruling out other things just to make sure. But yeah, no, I understand it's frustrating. Always, yeah. Isn't it? So yeah. he says, I'm in menopause since 2015. Period had stopped since then, but have returned since February. Very heavy. Uh, sweats at night time, and I'm now 54. Thanks, Kathy. Uh, so um, is that is that common where it can go? The periods can go away. She's been in menopause since 2015. The periods went away. They stopped. But then they've returned since February and they're very heavy. So obviously hard to give sort of specific medical advice to a particular patient in this sort of forum. But in general, no, that's not typical. And we would always investigate bleeding that happens after a long time with no bleeding. So if you've gone a full year with no, um, with no menstruation, with no period, and then you have vaginal bleeding, that always warrants at least a bit of investigation just to make sure that nothing else has happened so there's nothing that we're missing okay. um, so that's probably worth a trip to your doctor uh, uh, My hair is in bits and breaking from uh, uh, the menopause is there anything that can do to help? Okay, hair of course, women would talk about their hair thinning out uh, during menopause or that part of their life certainly I mean is, is that a symptom of menopause as well? Yes, yeah, it's, it's really common and it's, it's a really distressing symptom actually I think you know having, having hair loss or hair thinning can be really distressing it's it's so, you know, if they're visible to everybody, it's really part of, it, it affects your self-confidence and how you feel. Um, now, with hair thinning, we also look at the fact of doing blood, so I'm afraid, Nile, and you look at um, other things like, again, thyroid and iron levels and, and just make sure there aren't other contributing factors. Um, but it's definitely, um, what's probably happening hormonally is that, as you'd mentioned before, you know, women make testosterone. I know we think of it as a male hormone, but we make testosterone too. But you lose testosterone at a slower rate than losing your estrogen and this big gap then happens and you and you have a sort of dominance of testosterone for some women and that can trigger things like hair loss or even acne which is a bit of a bummer when you're in yeah. your 50s and you start developing bad skin and acne but it's because of testosterone unfortunately Okay, somebody says, hi, I'm at my wit's end with my husband. Uh, I'm fi- She's at her wit's end with her husband or the, or the menopause. But anyway, I'm 51 and going through the menopause and recently started HRT. The problem is my husband is absolutely unsupportive. Hasn't even asked how I'm doing. He's like our father's, our grandfather's uh, generation with the leave her at it attitude. It's really getting me down. I'm struggling to deal with it on my own. And I've given him links and information to read, but to no avail. I'm so tired of trying to cope with everything, every day life and feel like he's just thrown me aside because he's not he's not getting any so to speak yeah well I think we know that she's talking about there but that's so common by the way it's really important that men you know because we have wives we have mothers as well by the way but it's really important that we understand menopause are men getting better at that you tell me, I, I think so, you know, and, and I've noticed, I think a lot of um, patients that we would have come into the clinic, some, some bring their partners with them or some will mention, you know, I'm, I'm lucky and I have, my husband really understands what's going on and he's interested to hear the information that I'm bringing home. Um, and so hopefully there's a trickle down effect that, it, you know, it kind of reaches the, the men who, like you said, brothers and sons and partners and all that kind of thing that are in our lives and work colleagues and etc. you know, um, because it's uh, most of, of this is support. Women need to be given the right information so that they can make informed decisions. And they need support from each other, and but from other people in their lives too, from the men in their lives. You know, they, they need to be supported properly. It can be really tough. Thankfully, some women have a, have a breathe through menopause. There's a small percentage who have no symptoms at all. Must have terrified people, you know. There are definitely women who, who don't have difficult menopause transitions. But for those who do, support is really key. Okay, I have two voice notes here. I'm going to play these as well. Have a quick listen to these. 
Hi Niall, just wondering um, what type of vitamins should I be taking as I'm going through the menopause? Um, I'm probably halfway or almost at the end. Um, Hot flashes are are annoying, but I get through them. Um, Otherwise, I'm doing grand, but the vitamin part of it would be my knowing what to take. Thank you. Okay, okay, so that's that's a good question. Okay, so, uh, you know, if you're feeling run down, you're feeling tired, it's all part of menopause as well, feeling a bit cranky and a bit low, vitamins can help, I suppose, as you mentioned, the holistic approach. So what, what vitamins should, should women probably take? Yeah, I agree. Starting with the basics and making sure someone has good sleep hygiene and sleep habits so that they're having good quality sleep, that their nutrition is good, that their diet is good, all of the things that we can control in our environment they're important and they do help. I mean, they won't, you know, get rid of your hot flushes for you, but they can certainly help mood and your long-term health. And then in terms of vitamins or supplements, the only thing we generally recommend is that you have adequate dietary calcium. So it's about a thousand milligrams of calcium a day is what you're going to need in your diet. Um, and a lot of people, um, particularly in Ireland, we need supplementary vitamin D and that's usually just an over-the-counter supplement that you can buy. Okay, so calcium, I'm assuming that's for bone density and things like that. Exactly, yeah. yeah okay. All right, here's another um, WhatsApp message here, voice message. Can we have a listen Hi, to Niall, how are you? Um, I'm just interested in asking a question about the introduction of testosterone um, in conjunction with a woman's HRT regime. Um, could Dr. Kira actually tell us what are the risks of using it, uh, the benefits, um, how do you know when you need it and how much should you take? Um, I've been reading lots on it and they say one pea-sized amount of the gel every day um, is what's recommended. But I would imagine, like everything, that it can't be a one-size-fits-all. So if she could just discuss that topic a little bit more, um, I would love to hear about it. Thank you so much. Okay. okay. Thank okay, you. okay, Dr. Kira. Sorry, Gweaver. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough, to be fair. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, testosterone, it is a big question. People, mm. and I mentioned the testosterone earlier on. I mean, do doctors are generally recommend it? Uh, and she talked about a pea-sized amount, or is it one-size-fits-all? I don't know what she's, what she's referring to, which says a pea-sized amount, but you might know better. I do, yeah. So, um, so there's different formulations of testosterone, but one that we commonly use comes in little sachets. They're almost like little tomato ketchup sachets. And you basically, little that little sachet is going to last you about 10 days. So you're doling out about a pea-sized per day, and that's applied to your inner thigh, usually. Men would use a sachet a day. We have about a tenth of the testosterone level of men, so we use a tenth of a sachet per day. And in terms of monitoring us, it's, uh, we usually do blood tests. So you will have a testosterone level generally measured after about four to six weeks after starting your testosterone prescription. And that gives us a sense of whether you're being over-treated so some women on that particular dose will end up with a testosterone level that's way outside of what we would think is a normal range for women. And that puts you at risk of certain side effects. So things like hair loss, actually, acne, um, changing your voice, enlargement of the clitoris, these kind of side effects can happen. But we don't really see them happen if you're still in a normal female range. So that's why the blood tests are really important. Okay, so she doesn't go over the pea size amount, but she needs to talk to her own doctor, obviously, about it. And, she, and it needs to monitor it with a blood test after about a month to six weeks, and then every six months after that, if your blood test. Okay, is good. so 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 the key here is what you don't recommend is going online and buying the stuff yourself <laughs> and self-diagnosing and and you know taking a pea size amount and not monitoring it. No, that would that wouldn't be that wouldn't be something we'd recommend. No, you're right. And I'm assuming people do stuff like that, do they? They they buy on dodgy websites, or they can buy you know stuff on websites. I but think it's desperation, Niall. Like if you can't 
you know, if you if you can't get in to see someone or you or you're not getting the right information, and you know, I think, and you're feeling dreadful. What are you going to do? You know, so yeah. I think that's why access to care and information is probably the key to avoiding that happening. Uh, okay, somebody says hi, Nala. At 38, I was told I'm at premature menopause. Um, oh, how did I get it? I'm, I'm now 39 and waiting on a GP to come back to me about HRT. The GP uh, put me on the pill for now, and I'm taking a Menamin supplement. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else your guests could advise me to do? Starting a new job next week and definitely an added layer of anxiety about trusting myself. It's definitely knocked my confidence. Any advice appreciated? Thank you. So it's yeah. quite, yeah, quite 38 is quite young, isn't it? It really is, yeah. And, and we know that for women who are younger when they start menopause, when they, if you lose oestrogen 10 years before the average age of a woman losing oestrogen, you have 10 years extra of those changes in your vascular system and changes in your bone density that can really impact your long-term health. And most of the menopause guidelines, if you like, internationally would stand by a recommendation that for younger women, we should really be telling them, look, the benefit from taking HRT really greatly outweighs any risk here. Um, certainly until the average age of menopause. So um, something like the pill, it can, it can be really um, helpful because it contains oestrogen and progestin too. Um, and for some women, that's the route that they want to go and they will actually improve their long-term health and alleviate their symptoms with something like the pill. So, okay, so, so, again, the pill, so the pill is probably a good idea until she gets to see a specialist or somebody else just the, as a stopgap, so to speak. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. All right. And, and just finally, just I, we talked recently on the air, not myself and yourself, but we've, we, we spoke to somebody else in relation to the shortage of HRT and there seems to be a huge problem at the moment in women accessing HRT. Is that still the case or has that been resolved? Ah, it waxes and wanes. At the moment, things are not too bad, I think, but it, it seems to depend where you are in the country and what you're on. So some of the HRT prescriptions are in shorter supply than others. Um, so you can just get lucky. But like... I think for women who have tried lots of different preparations and then they land on something that they feel really well on, it's really cruel to then not be able to access that prescription. And I've had women tell me, you know, they've gone abroad to get their prescription or they've driven the length of the country to go to a pharmacy they know has has something in stock for them. So it's hopefully something that we'll address um, in the near future that won't be an issue for women. And from a financial aspect of it, I mean, in the UK, obviously, menopause products are free because obviously they're free healthcare and free prescriptions. Here in Ireland, I'm assuming women have to pay for it unless they're on a medical card. Some of the HRT products are covered by the medical card and they're also, a lot of them are covered by the drug payment scheme. But, I mean, that's no help to a lot of women, you know. You're, they should be free, shouldn't scheme. they? All, they should all be free. Oh, sure, healthcare should be free, I think. That's a whole other conversation, I'm sure. And they've actually recently brought out the localised vaginal oestrogen, which is not HRT, but it's really effective for treating a lot of those vaginal symptoms. That is now over-the-counter in the UK, which is something that hopefully we might see come in here, down the line. All right, well, look, I appreciate you coming on the air and saying with us and answering all of those questions. And, and look, by the way, I could get you on again for two hours if you want, because <laughs> there's so many people want to come on, they want to talk to you, they have questions, I could just keep reading them out all day. If you want more information, by the way, you can go to menopausehealth.ie. That's menopausehealth.ie. I know you've got some great services, Quiva, and people can contact you, they can get face-to-face stuff, they can get online, they can have a chat with you about, you know, customising their own HRT or customising their own, um, I suppose, prognosis. So it's menopausehealth.ie dot ie if they want more information I assume I that that's it listen thank you very much indeed I appreciate you. you going on the air okay I, I bother you somebody said will you read that out again no, I didn't have my pen Did you, ever, you were quick enough to text weren't you menopausehealth.ie real people real opinions real talk radio the multi award winning Niall Boylan show I-